Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. We are in Isaiah chapter 9, if you want to turn there. As we kind of think about this time of year, it's interesting. Uh, I don't know if you guys noticed, but we tend to talk about Jesus a lot. Um, that in our church, that's actually not just true at Christmas. That's true kind of around the around the clock, around the calendar, uh, year in year out. Um, in literature and film, you oftentimes hear people talk about flat characters and round characters. And uh, in those worlds of storytelling, they talk about, sometimes you'll hear it in terms of static characters or dynamic characters, but uh, students, you thought you were on Christmas break and you were getting a break from English and literature and all this stuff, and uh, you turned your brains off, but some of you probably know what I'm talking about, and you may have to tell your parents or grandparents and remind them about this a little bit later. Uh, but flat characters are those who are really constructed around a single idea or quality. Uh, they're, they're flat because there's not a lot of excitement. There's not a lot of depth to who they are. They're just pretty caricatured and they're pretty easy to caricature and, and pretty uninteresting people. And then there's round characters, and round characters are those that are more complex. Uh, oftentimes they, they offer surprises to a reader without losing credibility. They're dynamic, they're interesting. Uh, they, they make a story, a story interesting for us to, to watch. So when you watch a movie and oftentimes you get bored, it's usually because the characters are not well-rounded, they're not complex enough. There's nothing interesting that makes you lean in and want to know what makes them tick and wants to know what, what they're going to do next. And uh, as you think about this. Um, really, the, the reason I say this is some of you may get just a little interested in why we talk about Jesus all the time. And maybe you're, you're new to church and you think, man, couldn't you like spice it up and throw some, throw some other people, like you got some other heroes, or some other people in the Bible, or some other things that you could sort of make the focus this week. It's like every week you come back and you're still talking about Jesus and talking about Jesus and talking about Jesus. And I, I want you to understand that when you look at the Bible... Am I doing something there? I'm going to try to check that. Sorry. I don't want you guys to have to listen to that the entire day. Make sure I'm not popping there. Um, all right. Hopefully we'll get that fixed. Uh, but as you think about this, uh, you know, you, you might think it's time to spice it up and talk about someone other than Jesus. But I, I hate to discourage you, but we're just going to focus on Jesus. Now, that's, the, that's the, the discouraging part. Now, the encouraging part is, I promise you, if you understand who Jesus is, you will never become bored. Uh, Jesus is not a flat character. Jesus is not some goody two-shoes um, kind of dude smiling all the time like a Europe, uh, like a Euro model uh, that just kind of got this flat, you know, photoshopped view of who he is. It's not who Jesus is. He's actually more fascinating than any character you've ever seen. Jesus is the most complex, mind-bending, life-rattling, soul-shaking human that's ever walked the face of the earth. You will never exhaust who Jesus is in your understanding who he, and your understanding of him. In fact, what we see at Christmas is Jesus is both God and man. Jesus is a baby. At the same time, he's the cosmic ruler of the universe. Put that together in your head. 
Jesus is, uh, is the place where justice and mercy come together. Jesus is a suffering servant, and he's a triumphant victor at the same time. Jesus is a lion and a lamb. Jesus is a prince of peace who also said, I have come not to bring peace, but a sword. Jesus is one who, say, who will come back to judge, but also the one who saves us from judgment. Now, Jesus is the one who said, whoever is without sin, let him cast the first stone. But he also said, woe to you, you hypocrites, and threatened people who did damage to be cast into deep water with a stone around the necks. Jesus is one who said, judge not lest you be judged, and then turned around and called people snakes and whitewashed tombs. Uh, this is a complex guy. Friends, you'll never exhaust the fascination of who Jesus is and all that he means, and he's worthy of our entire lives and of all of our interests. I'm going to read a quote from an old preacher, Charles Spurgeon, who's honestly my favorite guy to read when I just need to encourage my soul. And it's kind of a long quote, but lean in here, and I think, it, I think this will encourage you too. I just want you to listen to what he says. How forcibly Jesus should remind us of the necessity of carefully studying and rightly understanding the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. We must not suppose that we shall understand him at a glance. A look will save the soul. But patient meditation alone can fill the mind with the knowledge of the Savior. Man, do you get that? Like he's worthy of more than a glance. You may glance at him and you may capture a picture of him, but it's not going to be the transforming thing that spending your whole life investing in him is worthy of. Glorious mysteries are hidden in his person. He speaks to us in the plainest of language, and he reveals himself openly in our midst. And yet his person itself, there is a height and depth which human intellect fail, fails to measure. When, he has looked long, when, when we have looked long and steadily, the devout observer perceives that Jesus' beauties are so rare and ravishing that we are lost in wonder. Continued contemplation conducts the soul by the power of the Holy Spirit into an elevation of delighted admiration which the less thoughtful know nothing about. So deep is the mystery of the person of our Lord Jesus that he must reveal himself to us or we shall never know him. Friends, do you believe that this baby that we talk about, that we see in the manger, in our nativity scenes, is worthy of you pouring your whole life into? You're, de you're desiring to know him more. You're rallying around him every day of your life. That's the ultimate message of Christmas. Friends, the goal of Christianity is not to make you a nice person. The goal of Christianity is not to make you good or moral. The goal of Christianity is to help you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That ultimately is what Christmas reminds us of. And the goal is, uh, now, now the truth is, if you, if you, love, the, if you love God completely, you are naturally going to become more kind. If you love the Lord completely, you are naturally going to become more moral. You're actually naturally going to become more of a, of a healthy person that honors the Lord in the way in which you live. But the goal is not merely to make you a better person, it's to help you worship a better God. And Jesus is the one who has made him most clearly known to us. So friends, if we're going to grow as Christians, it's going to be because we're dwelling deeply on the person of Jesus. And of all times of year, this time ought to remind us of that. And we would dare not come to Christmas and not seek to discover something new that God wants us to see and about who he is and about what life with him would look like because we have good news of great joy that unto us is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord.
Let's look at Isaiah 9. This passage we've been looking at over the last several weeks. I'm going to read verse 2 and then jump down to verse 6. It says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the word of the Lord. It's a revelation from... That's right. You want to take this one? All right. I'm going to drop this or throw it or something in a minute. I'm going to get excited. You never know. I'm like my black preacher friends. I need a hanky. Start dabbing my forehead. Uh, we're going to have fun with this. Uh, let's get into this. Well, when you think about uh, the mystery of Christ coming, uh, I think it should it should be something that we see as, as a mystery. Uh, Christ comes as a baby who also carries the weight of the world. It's interesting to me that Isaiah talks about him and it says, um, that, that the government will be upon his shoulder. To us, a, a baby is born, a child is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Uh, to be honest, that seems kind of mean, doesn't it? Like a baby comes in the world, you're like, here, let me, why don't you carry the weight of the world? And not only that, we make him a government employee. So that's even worse. Like, welcome to the universe, right? Uh, it's a tough thing to see about Jesus, but it's one of the things that ought to kind of shock us. It's a mind-blowing mystery that somehow this child that came into the world is meant to also become the Savior of the world, and we're meant to see him as that. But to understand these four names, I think it's important also to understand kind of the history of, uh, of, of that culture and what they were doing. Oftentimes when a king would come into the world, they would, uh, they would add names to, uh, to him or titles in order to talk about what kind of king he was. So, for example, uh, there was a king named Sargon. And Sargon, this, king, uh, this name meant, uh, meant the, the king is legitimate. Now, obviously, that was not a name his parents gave him because that would be really awkward. But this is a name that as he became a king, he probably had some turmoil around how he took the throne. And so they, they announced him or gave him a title and said, hey, this is the real dude. Uh, this king is legitimate. What Isaiah is doing here is, is a similar thing. He's saying that when Jesus comes in the world, he's going to be a king. And we want to give you names that tell you what kind of kingdom he's going to have, what kind of king he will be. He's a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. He's an everlasting father. He's a prince of peace. And so we want to understand this. And in the last two sermons, we looked at the first two. Today, we're going to look at everlasting father. Now, uh, if you've been around church much, you're probably aware that we talk sometimes about the Trinity, and we talk about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so it could be a little confusing at first glance to say, well, Jesus is going to be born in the world. He's the Son of God, but here it's calling him an everlasting father. Well, uh, it's important to say Isaiah is not conflating the two. He's not mixing up the Trinity. He's not trying to do a Trinitarian explanation here. He's just saying Jesus is going to be a king that's like an everlasting father, a father that you can trust, a father that you can rely upon, a father that will never leave you because he's eternal and he's forever. And so it's important to understand what it is that Isaiah is trying to get us to, to see here. But what does it mean to you and to me that Jesus is a father? I think uh, it's important to, to understand this is a revelation from God. That God has revealed Christ to us, and one of the things he wanted us to know about his son was that he's like an everlasting father to you. Now, in our world, um, we, we understand what fathers are, and so part of what God's doing is he's kind of coming down or translating his wisdom and his knowledge into our la language we can understand and saying, look, you know what it is to have a father. Let me show you what, uh, how God can be like a father to you. 
Uh, part of the problem with that is sometimes it creates a disconnect for us because our earthly fathers sometimes aren't that great, right? Uh, if you think about Christmas movies, can we just say that sometimes fathers get a bad rap in Christmas movies? I want to I show you a couple slides here, and I want you to see who can call out most quickly uh, which movie this is from, which Christmas movie this is from. Christmas Story. You know that, right? Everyone knows about the leg. Apparently, this is such a big deal in Oklahoma that we've built the world's largest one-legged lamp um, out in the middle of, I forget which city it's in. I should probably know that, but I haven't yet been. But this father is he's a foul-mouthed, short-tempered man in love with a one-legged lamp, which this was a great reward that, that uh, came in a box that was marked for Gile. Um, it was very important to him and uh, may have been something that he uh, obsessed about a little too much. But he wasn't necessarily a great father. Look at this next slide. Which one's this? Yeah, you know it. Uh, he's a distracted, passive father at best. Uh, the best thing he could come up with when they figured out that they had left their child, uh, that they had gone on a European vacation and left their child at home at Christmas time, the best thing he could come up with was, we didn't forget him, we just miscounted. Right? Uh, maybe not very emotionally aware. Look at the next slide. Absolutely. Uh, see, I just have to say Chevy Chase. I don't really need to explain anything else. Like, that pretty much sums it all up. Uh, but, you know, you've got a, a kooky, unskilled, lustful man obsessed with Christmas lights and not worried about his bill. Uh, look at the next one, a little more recent. Elf. Elf. Uh, you know this one. An uncaring, emotionally dis disconnected father focused on himself and his success. Uh, you know, I just want to say, like, this picture captures so well the director or the writer or someone that put this in there captures so well the emotional disconnect in the wall between these two uh, that shows up there. But when we look at these movies, oftentimes fathers are not looked upon as very good fathers, are they? And it creates kind of a disconnect for us. Uh, it doesn't really paint them in a very good light. But the problem is that uh, even beyond that is sometimes the problems with our real fathers. Uh, if you talk to counselors, they oftentimes talk about the father wound. And when you talk about the father wound, it's dealing with an absent father or an abusive father or a passive father or a hypercritical father or a driven father and the impact that those things can have on your life. And I think it, importance, it speaks to the importance of a father, but also speaks to the importance of why we need Jesus to be an everlasting father to us. So I want us to dive in there a little bit today. And friends, when you think of uh, whatever, you, whatever your family history is, you need to know what it is, what it means that God is a father and that Jesus is like an everlasting father to you. Uh, because it will do good things in your heart as you understand that. And it's important for you to understand that this is part of how God wanted you to know him, part of his revelation to us. Any of you uh, been to a reveal party or hosted a reveal party? You know what I mean? Or you've seen one online, you know what a reveal party is, where you've got a couple and they know that there's a bun in the oven and they want to reveal whether it's going to be a boy or a girl and they hold a party and they come up with some creative way to take that which they know and reveal it to you so that you now know and you get in on the secret and get to discover the good news of what it is they want to share with you. So they're, they're, they're sharing and revealing the gender of their child and that's a reveal party. Do you guys understand that Scripture... Is like a continuous reveal party from God to you. Where he says, I want to reveal to you who I am. I want you, I want to take that which I know and you don't know, and I want to make it known to you in a way that you can understand it. And one of the ways that he wants to reveal himself to you is as an everlasting father. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to jump in, and I'm going to just run through some stuff. We're going to go pretty quickly, but I want to just give you five highlights on why it matters to you 
that Jesus is like an everlasting father to you. You with me? All right, let's lean in here. First is, uh, Jesus is a father who gives. Uh, Jesus once told a, or Jesus is a father who gives life. Jesus once told a religious man that you must be born again. And what he was saying was not physically, in fact, it confused the guy. When he said you must be born again, the guy went, dude, I can't get back in my mother's womb. I mean, one, that's kind of gross, but two, it just functionally doesn't work. Three, he was like, I don't understand what you're trying to say. And what Jesus says, no, you don't need to be born physically. You need to be born spiritually. You need to be born from above. And when you think about um, kind of what Jesus was saying is, you have an earthly father that gave you physical, physical life. You need another father that can give you spiritual life. Uh, you know, the, I grew up in the 80s, and so it was less politically correct time. And parents used to say things like, like, son, I brought you into this world, and I can take you out of it. Right? Any of you ever hear that one? You're not going to admit it? Any of you ever say that one? Don't admit that. No, but, you know, nowadays, nowadays you get in trouble saying things like that. But back then, it was like, of course. Uh, you know, it was, just, it, was, it was common lingo of the day. And, and the idea there was that there was a time when you didn't exist, and your mother and I brought you into this world. And there was a physical life that was given you, and that's what made me a father. What Jesus is saying here is there also is a spiritual time where you need to be brought to life. That, that you may not know that, but there's a reality that you need to experience a new life and a spiritual life that comes to you that you didn't have. And so, friends, let me say this. When you think about um, Christmas, can I just give you a word of caution? If, if you don't get excited about Jesus... If the Christmas season doesn't stir your heart to want to know him more, if your mind is not further expanded and blown by the reality that God became man in order to save us, if your, if your mind is not, uh, does not desire to, to try to wrap itself around the mystery that God loves sinners and sent his only son to die for us, it might be because you're not spiritually alive. It might be because you're still spiritually blind to the things of God, and you need God to come in and breathe new life into you. You, you need not just to be physically born. Physically, you're alive, but spiritually, you may still be dead, and you may need something new. First Corinthians says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And if there's no spiritual vitality, you're not going to be able to see and understand the spiritual realities of life that Christmas comes to bring us. The old song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I found I was blind, but now I see. You may need God to do a work in you to enliven you so that you begin to see the truth of Christmas and all that it's for. It's why in uh, Ephesians 1, Paul says, I remember you in my prayers that the God of, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart opened, enlightened, awakened, so that you might know the hope to which he has called you. Friends, have, you, have the eyes of your heart, have your spiritual eyes been opened so that you have a sense of the hope that is yours in Jesus? That's the real hope of Christmas. Because if you don't, what's going to happen is you're going to work really hard to create a wonderful six-hour experiment called Christmas to try to create heaven on earth for your family. But then at the end of that day, you're going to have to pull the lights off the trees and you're going to put the presents, the pre you have to pick up all the wrapping paper and you have to clean all the dishes and things are going to go back to normal because it's not enough. You need to understand there's a heaven that is yours one day and there's a savior 
named Christ who has come for you. That's why Second Corinthians says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Friends, some of us need a new start this Christmas. Some of us need a new day. And I just want to encourage you. You have a, you have a Father in heaven who brings and gives new life to us. Next, we see a Father who gives attention. One of the ways we know about God's design for fathers is to look at the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. And one of the things we see, uh, one of the, my favorite it kind of glimpses into this is that it takes place at Jesus' baptism. Uh, that when Jesus is baptized, it says that just as he, uh, th- that as he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Isn't that awesome? That God... Uh, looked down and he saw what Jesus was doing and he was not a, a passive or an absent or a, a father who didn't wasn't aware of what's going on but he was a father who said I see you and I'm pleased with you and you're my son and he, he called his name out and it's because he was very much an attentive father he didn't mind sharing his affection um, Zephaniah 3 says the Lord your God is in your midst a mighty one who will save and to me, I always get the picture of a father here with, with a young son or a daughter. It says, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Meaning that he's aware, he's present, he's in your midst. That, that God to you is like a father doting on a child. Friends, do you believe that your father looks at you not just tolerates you, but loves you, cares about you, is attentive to you? Is affectionate for you? That's what the scripture reveals to us about our Father in heaven, is that God loves us and cares for us. We also see that uh, we have a Father who gives direction. In fact, Romans 8 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The reality for us is if you've been born again, if you've experienced spiritual life, if you have new life in Him, then the the Spirit is constantly reminding you that you have a Heavenly Father. And so when it says, Abba, Father, it's like saying, Daddy, my Father, the one to whom I'm connected. And so He testifies with our spirit internally to help us understand that we have a Father that we can trust. It's interesting also, when you think about Jesus in the garden, uh, and you see how Jesus was led by the Spirit of God into the garden and he goes to pray and then uh, you notice Jesus says uh, there in the garden before he goes to the cross just before he goes to his death he says Father if you're willing remove this cup from me nevertheless not my will but yours be done Abba Father he, friends you, you'll never come to a place in life where you say not my will be done but yours be done unless you understand that he's your Abba Father Life is going to be full of twists and turns that you don't fully understand. Life's going to be full of struggles and sacrifices that you wish you could skip around. And if you want to, if you want to truly enter into those, we need to look at Jesus. And he said, Abba, Father. And that's what freed him up to say, not my will, but yours be done. Not my way, Lord, but your, your way. And if we're going to be those that accept the direction of our Father, you're going to have to trust him as a Father who loves you. He's attentive. He's got you in his hands. 
lastly, um, what we see is, uh, or fourthly, we see a father who gives protection, that he's sheltered from the storm. Hebrews 7 says, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Friends, Christ died upon a cross, but then he was resurrected. Christ is alive. He's now at the right hand of the Father, and he constantly is aware of everything that's going on in your life. There's nothing that's going on in your life right now that, that he's not aware of, that he does not see, that he's not in touch with. In fact, he's interceding for you, and he's at work behind the scenes in ways that you'll never understand. I promise you, when we get to heaven, there's going to be a reality that we're going to look back, and there's going to be 10,000 things that the Lord has done that we never even were aware of. But he's caring for us, and he's watching over us, and he's leading us, and he's directing us, and he's protecting us, and he's a shelter for us. He can save to the uttermost all those who draw near to God through him. He promises that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Friends, some of you had a father who left and you still have not recovered from it. And I want you to know the scriptures say over and over that the father will never leave you nor forsake you. You can count on him. He guarantees that you will have an inheritance and a future with him. In fact, Jesus said, I've gone on to prepare a home for you and I will one day come and take you and bring you home with me because I'm preparing a better place for you. Friends, Christmas is a wonderful holiday to celebrate. Uh, If I'm honest, Christmas is my favorite time of year. I I love the Christmas season. Uh, As a pastor, I love the season right after Christmas when I get a week off. Uh, I love the the fact that my kids are home from college. I love the fact that we get to do all the things, that we eat good food, that we get to play with new gifts, that we play board games, we stay up late, we watch old movies, we re-watch movies that we love. We do all the things, and I want you to do all those things, and all those momentary joys that you do ought ought to be celebrated to the nth degree. And I would just say, embrace it all. Live Christmas to the utmost. But just know that all of those things are intended to point you to a greater reality, to a greater joy. One that's not momentary, but one that's forever. A family that that you're not holding together, hoping that all the kids get along for a few hours and nothing blows up. But one in which there is no more sin, sorrow, or suffering. But one that's going to be a perfect family that goes on forevermore. It actually points us to the forever day when we're in God's family in a new heavens and new earth. Friends, I know for holidays, for some of us, they're not always full of joy. They're reminders of loss. As a pastor, I look out in this, this room, and I know those of you that have buried loved ones this year, I know that as we dedicate babies this morning, that some of you that wanted to have children and weren't able to. I know some of you had to had to bury a child. I know some of you that are not, your families are not intact in the way that you wanted them to be. I know the road that you've come and I want you to know that in the midst of all the brokenness of the world, sometimes talking about a father doesn't sound like a good thing, but what I want you to hear is when you look at what the scriptures say about our heavenly father, it's just like the song we sang earlier. He's a good father. He's a father you can trust. He's a father who's shelter from all the storms. He's a father who will give you good direction and guidance. He's a father who gives you his attention and his affection. He doesn't withhold or withdraw from you, but he's ever present and ready and attentive to you. He's a father who wants to give you life and life abundantly. And lastly, what we see is he's a father who gives forever. 
Um, you notice in Isaiah 9, it says he's an everlasting father. It means he's eternal. It means he has no beginning and no end. There's never a time when he was not. The Revelation describes God, Jesus, as the one who was and is and is to come. That's past, present, future. Describes him as the Ancient of Days, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. It says, we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world, and he will create for us a new world one day. Colossians 2 says, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Christ, by him, all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. Do you understand the majesty and the mystery of that? That, that somehow the cosmic power of the universe was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. That ought to be the most mind-blowing thing you've ever tried to wrap your head around. It should be something that rattles us to the core, that somehow that baby was still holding everything together. What that does is it gives us stability in life. It gives us continuity. It means that there's no, uh, there, there's no surprises in the world to, to the Savior. There's nothing that he's like, whoa, didn't see that coming. Um, we have those all the time, right? Just driving down the road, you have all kinds of moments. You're like, oh, wasn't ready for that. Uh, God doesn't have those. He's eternal, and we can trust him. He doesn't wake up. It means we don't have to wake up wondering whether we're okay. Because Christ is holding everything together. It means you don't have to wake up one day and wonder if you're loved. Because Christ is holding everything together. He was before all things, and he will continue to care for us for all time. See, Jesus is, a, is, a, is an eternal, everlasting father that's beyond all earthly, earthly limitations. It means there's nothing that can interfere with a, this father's care. There's nothing that can interrupt us from this father's attention. There's nothing that can intervene in this father's plans. All that he wishes will be done. And so we can rest in that. In fact, it means um, that that we can trust him and we can experience that grace even now. I want to look at one more verse. 1 Peter 8, 1.8. What does it mean for you and I to personally experience Jesus as an everlasting father? So I know for some of you, you may be listening, you're like, man, that all sounds great. Sounds like a wonderful idea. I don't know how that relates to me. I don't know how to experience that. Uh, Jesus isn't sitting here next to me in the chair. Uh, I can't sit down and have a conversation with Jesus. I can't dip a chip and bowl of queso with him right now. I don't know exactly how to experience this world. It's interesting to me that Peter deals with this. We see over and over in the Bible that Jesus makes himself real to those who seek him. It says, though, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory. You know, it's a fascinating verse because Peter himself was one of Jesus' disciples. Uh, Peter was one of those that walked with Jesus. He knew Jesus. Uh, he was one of the, that Jesus looked at one day and said, Jesus, you're the, uh, Peter, you're the rock, uh, and, and I'm going to change your name, and I'm going to use you to help build my church. And then another day, Jesus looked at the same Peter and said, Jesus, or said, Peter, get behind me, Satan. Like, they had a relationship that was real. One day, Peter uh, denied Jesus three times before, uh, before he died and said, I don't even know this guy, and completely betrayed his savior and then the savior came back and sat down and had a meal with jesus after jesus was resurrected and they sat down on a beach a little fire and had some fish and he says peter do you love me do you love me do you love me one time for each betrayal and restored peter 
And it's the same Peter that's, that's in awe right now because he looks at people that come to Christ later. And he says, look, it's amazing to me that though you don't see him like I got to see him, you still love him. Though you don't see him now, you're still blown away and you experience him and rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory. So friends, maybe you're here today and this seems outside of your experience. Can I just encourage you that you can trust this Jesus, the Jesus of Christmas, that he is not dead, that this isn't just something that historically happened, that we celebrated him being born and then we moved on through life. He's not just like another good teacher. He's not just like another good leader that came on the scene in the world and then disappeared, but he's one who continues to be alive and sends his spirit and he brings new life to people and he directs our lives and he offers attention and affection to us and he protects us and gives us shelter and he promises he will do so forevermore. So friends, if you don't know him, can I just say to you, come to him, talk to him, trust him, because he sees you, he listens, he cares, he knows, and he will continue to instruct and direct and to guide your way. He's, he's, a, he's like a good father that you can count on that will never go. So friends, this week, I just encourage you that when you wake up, uh, would you just practice, make this your practice this week, say, Jesus, would you be my father today? And when you head to, to work and you've got a, a task, would you just say, Father, would you help me to, to walk in this moment well? And when you're experiencing some kind of a family difficulty, would you just say, Father, would you be with us and help guide us in this moment? And when you're fearful, would you just say, Father, would you help me to know that you're with me? And when you're tempted, would you say, Father, would you give me strength to resist this temptation, not my will, but yours, Abba? Would you just try to make the Father real in your day-to-day experience this week? That you might walk with him. That you might know the joy of Christmas. Friends, it's not just a holiday that we celebrate. Christ, the Savior, has come. And he's an everlasting Father. And you can count on him and you can trust him. And he will walk with you today. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that we would know your Son we would celebrate his life that God became man that we would rest in his goodness that we would look at his life and it would stir our hearts and stir our affections and, and, and blow our minds with the majesty of, of, a, of a mighty God who is also a little baby and Father help us to experientially learn what it means to, to trust him to walk with him to know what it is to have an everlasting father Father, help us to rest in that truth this this Christmas season and to rejoice in it. Father, for his glory and for our good. Amen.